and then that one time you get hit and just freeze your opponent and everyone is like no you're out like get out like we don't do that here grabnar's dead dude okay yeah, exactly <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Halls of Horror in the Scarlet Citadel, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 140 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're making the most of a setback as we discuss defeating the players. But first, the rogue traders have been followed in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the comeback kid gets the last laugh in the Character Creation Forge. So before we get into that, I want to uh, thank a couple of our listeners who helped me out in a pinch this week as I was looking for characters for a one-shot that I uh, was playing but had to edit the podcast instead of creating a character for. Uh, yeah, these are... Yeah, these are exactly the kinds of builds that I think we would have come up with on our own um, because they're silly. Silly and awesome. Yeah, it, it was great. Uh, so that's what I asked for. I was like, hey, send me the uh, an absurd character so that I can play in this one shot. Uh, member of our gaming group, Susie, had not run an adventure in about 15 years. So this is her basically first time DMing. Definitely her first time DMing for this group. And I was like, I don't, I don't care what it is. Like, just give me something that'll be fun. Uh, I ended up, we got two different characters so we ended up just using both uh brian ended up playing um uh uh bloodtooth grimjaw the third a bugbear runt who's like a rogue that uh was trying to prove that he could overcome his fears um, that was sent in by sean r and then i played smee not bottom and uh his trusty steed a giant crab clacker uh sort of a pirate who is rescued by a psychotic crab and uh you know rides him into battle uh that was provided by jvc perry so this is a a bugbear uh using a reach weapon along with their extended reach to attack things from very far away yes yeah yeah and until you know you can't avoid that anymore then you got a sneak attack (laughs) (laughs) it was uh it was it was pretty great um i got to play chaotic neutral hot on the heels of our chaotic neutral episode you always play chaotic neutral. You just name them different alignments. Well, um, so JVC Perry was kind enough to send along like the full everything that I needed, including um, a stat block for a giant crab that had been you know customized for all the ranger uh, animal companion stats. So uh, he had marked the alignment for Clacker as dangerously unaligned. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it, it turned out great, like, um, you know, just by happenstance, you know, we were working with, uh, we were supposed to clear out a goblin cave near a wizard's tower, um, you know, naturally there were uh, some complications with that, we ended up just killing the wizard instead, um, but, you know, it was great, it played on a lot of the themes that both of our characters had, um, completely coincidentally, because Susie did not know what characters we were bringing until about an hour before the game, um, and it still worked out great. So what race is Smee? Uh, a halfling. Nice. See, uh, we usually recommend, oh, you know, get like a riding dog or something. Something appropriate and normal that you can take into dungeons or towns. 
but I far prefer giant crab. Yeah, it was fun <laughs> to play a pirate who uh, had no boat. <laughs> <laughs> Nor did he need one. <laughs> right. Uh, pirate is fully in quotes. <laughs> his, his actual experience with piracy was um, he had been knocked overboard <laughs> from a ship and washed up on, on shore. Uh, I was being guarded by this crazy crab. They've been friends ever since. <laughs> uh, adorable. All right, so Shane, speaking of party members that are barely sapient and completely insane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the rogue traders are on the dead world Malajact, along with two of their best companies of armsmen, and they have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress that was once occupied by the fallen dark angel, Lord Cypher. So the first night that the party spends inside the Verza House is awful. Both Flair, uh, who is our psyker, which of course is bodes poorly, uh, and Trix, our seneschal, have terrible dreams. Yeah, Flair is haunted by a giant white worm burrowing through the earth, kind of scraping along its chitinous segments. Uh, Trix chases a shade of an old dame around the fortress late at night, creeping out the men. Uh, Draco, uh, one of your arch militants, uh, is grumpy because he keeps getting interrupted by these idiots with their own nightmares. Plus, he's got, um, you know, the ongoing visions of dried skulls in a dusty valley. That sort of unnerving stuff. Fine. Whatever. Okay. We're in this big dumb house. No one's sleeping well. It's probably some warpy bullshit going on, but whatever. Okay. We're here to find some freaking chaos space marines. And we've already killed two of them. Okay. So this is going to be easy. Now, the next morning, we dig in and we say, let's get a sit rep. Right? Uh, let's map this place. Yeah, so you spend most of the morning trying to get that done, uh, and you do piece together a pretty good sense of the layout, though you notice as different teams have, have come back and reported in, the maps never quite align perfectly. Oh, god like, damn it. <laughs> there's just, there's something off about them. Like, you, you know how to navigate from, like, point A to point B now, but you just, the maps just aren't quite right. Yes, the house is non-Euclidean, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you contemplate that and, and try and work that out, around midday, uh, lookouts in the upper casements report a figure approaching from the far side of the valley, uh, coming from the direction which you came from, um, sort of uh, cloaked and shrouded and, and battling against the elements uh, itself. So, Flair spots the figure and is certain that it is the uh, very angry 14 year old inquisitor who sent us out here to die in the desert anyway well sent you to find this house in the desert yeah to find this fortress to to die i mean that that's that's what's happening it's a uh, occupational hazard uh so he's concerned that we have not reported the location of this house yet uh, and he's afraid that she's showing up and is basically going to accuse us of concealing the location. So we start figuring out how we can plausibly deny not knowing where we currently are. So the best plan you can come up with quickly is for Flair to attempt to uh, reach the Inquisitor telepathically and report that you found the Verza House and commenced exploration. 
and that you're having trouble um, with Vox and uh, Psychic Signal, right? Because um, there is sort of a weird um, psychic energy pooling effect that's going on around um, the fortress. So, you know, it's not too far from the truth. I mean, granted, you didn't really try to reach out, but, uh, you know, maybe maybe you can get some plausible deniability from that. Uh, and also, our actual equipment is clogged with uh, essentially fiberglass from the the dust storm that we walked for five days through to get here, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You, you've got a pretty good case for it, uh, you know, as long as you can kind of reach her before she realize before she realizes that you realizes that she's here. So he does contact her, but he doesn't get any reply, which is spooky. Yeah, and he's not sure that it actually worked. Um, like, it, it seems like uh, he had, you know, a connection to the warp, that he was able to use his psychic energy, but it's so strange to not have any kind of feedback at all. Like, he doesn't know if he maybe got, like, the energy is just trapped in the house, or if it went out and he can't receive a reply. He just, he doesn't know. So we resort to the old-fashioned way. Draco dispatches an armsman to go out and uh, meet her as she comes in. But the armsman comes back and reports that it's actually not the Inquisitor. It's one of the men loyal to our fellow rogue trader, Duhan Roth. This is Major Barrow. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about defeating the players, which of course is very easy. Rocks fall, everyone dies, end of game, get out of my house. Yep. Or, you know, just roll up an ancient dragon. Good luck, silly heroes. Suckers, you thought this would be fun for you. Okay, so this question actually comes from listener Dave, and uh, Dave writes, The hero's journey is a classic way to tell a story. Many well-loved movies have the hero's journey story arc frame. In the hero's journey, we're introduced to the hero, they take the call to action, sometimes they refuse, and then something happens that changes their mind. They set out on the adventure, and at one point are set back or defeated by the bad guys. The hero then overcomes the defeat, usually by learning something, and then defeats the bad guys themselves. Thus, the hero returns home, changed by their journey. So Dave asks, How do you get players to buy into the defeat part of the hero's journey when most players only want success? So if you listen to our episode on the three-act structure, you know that we... When talking about the hero's journey, when talking about um, you know structuring a story and a narrative in this in this form, where you know at the end of the second act things are looking dire for our heroes, uh, that we often reference Star Wars. So this is essentially uh, Han Solo getting frozen in carbonite and um, Luke Skywalker learning that his dad is Darth Vader and he loses a hand. You know, but getting this to happen in a game is a lot more difficult because it ends up being super railroady, right? Like, hey, welcome to the session where you're going to lose a hand. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to lose so that you can be frozen in carbonite, Han. I don't care how good your build is or what you rolled. Yeah, and I, I think this runs into a problem uh, in RPGs where the GM always has that advantage, right? Because you're you're kind of the, the leader of the storytelling, Um you you know it's it's nothing for you to just outright defeat the PCs because you have the whole system and the whole world and the whole narrative at your disposal. So in a way, like RPGs have rules so that the GM is allowed to defeat the players 
without them crying foul, right? They, they, they put a structure in place that says, okay, I set this up fairly. Now you are able to lose. Yeah, because you control all of the variables that make it believable when the players win, uh, you can also use them to make it believable when the players actually lose. But you've got to be careful about the way you leverage uh, this clout. Shane, like you said, it is within the rights of the GM to throw an ancient dragon at a level one party, but it's boring and bad storytelling and bad GMing. Yeah, like there's there's nothing fun about getting stumped by uh, a foe who's too big for you and is obviously too big for you, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? So um, there's definitely an art to structuring that defeat uh, so that the players, like uh, like Dave asks, are bought into it so that they they um, they value the defeat and they see it as a as a growth opportunity within their character arc. So Dave does a good job of actually framing the way that you should approach this. Yeah, because the plot needs to frame the meaning of defeat to the players. So that could mean losing an asset like an artifact or an informant or a friend or family member or money or reputation or whatever. Um, It could also mean the death of a PC or a group of PCs, or it could mean getting thrown in prison. You know, like what defeat is to a given group of players is totally dependent on the plot that the players are engaged with. Yeah, when people are sort of worrying over this problem, they're usually thinking, uh, how do I like defeat my players in combat because they're supposed to get arrested and go to jail or whatever, right? And and that ends up requiring a bunch of like dice fudging or straight up throwing uh, ridiculous combats at, at your players or, or saying, you know, oh, the door is locked and it's impossible to open and knock doesn't work and neither does wish, you know. Uh, but by using the the plot... You already have players, ideally, who are bought into it, who who want it to move forward in a believable direction. And sometimes that means that even when you've done everything right, you still lose. It doesn't mean that you have uh, screwed over the players, you know, um, just because you you made all the right decisions and yet, oh, wow, that, that didn't work out. And that makes sense within the fiction of the story that we're telling. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's also dependent on... Um what the players are expecting to get out of a given conflict, right? So in a fight, it might be just winning, right? Or it might be surviving. Um, It might be killing a certain enemy. Um, And so in that sense, like, defeat is, well, we died, (laughs) right? It's just a TPK. But it could also mean, you know, if we're fighting Dracula, well, Dracula escapes. Like, guess what? We're here, but we lost that fight, right? The goal was to stake him through the heart, and he's still not staked through the heart yeah or combat aside if, if the player's plan is to secure mining rights on a distant planet uh, they enter that negotiation hoping that they're going to end up with what they're looking for but maybe they're outmaneuvered by a rival consortium and that that is just as realistic a defeat yeah or you know if your players need the map on the back of the declaration of independence and they're beaten to the punch by Nicolas cage well then they've been defeated Oh, no. Look, if Nicolas Cage shows up in my game, like, that's a win, okay? <laughs> well, I mean, not for verisimilitude. I don't know what you're talking about. He's a master of many disguises. Uh, he's um, a convict who was wrongly imprisoned, and he's just trying to get back to his family. He's a car thief with a heart of gold. <laughs> or maybe he's, uh, you know, an arms dealer. <laughs> right. Or he's, or he's John Travolta. 
Uh, didn't he play a uh, a Elvis impersonator in Vegas? Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so think of it this way. It is not what happens in the story that determines whether it counts as a defeat. It, it depends on what the party's goals were in the first place. If you think of like the story of uh, Samson in the Old Testament, um, if if the party's plan is, okay we are prisoners or we are going to uh, go into a situation where we are hopelessly outnumbered. But what we're trying to do is uh, commit an act of self-sacrifice. We will, you know, knock over the pillars, the roof will collapse and like everyone will die, including us. If that's what they wanted to do and they do that, yeah, they're dead, but they still won. That's not a defeat. Right. I think to summarize, right, like the, the key to defeating the players in general is to always look for ways to defeat the players that don't involve them dying. <laughs> like find other ways because that keeps the the story going forward for the same set of characters. Cause if the only way you ever think of defeat is a TPK, well, you're going to end up stopping a lot of campaigns and it's going to be tough to buy into that as a player. It's going to be pretty frustrating. Okay. So Shane, this is easy to say, uh, but give me like, I don't know, like three rules that I can follow in order to, actually defeat my players without killing them three simple rules for defeating my teenage players yes please so first of all the heroes must know the stakes second the heroes must have an alternate path forward and third the heroes must gain some benefit that they couldn't have gotten otherwise from overcoming the defeat so like we've already mentioned uh, framing the defeat requires buy-in from your players and they can't do that unless they know what they're getting themselves into or at least they have an idea what in what they're getting themselves into and why they're doing it right the party needs to know the stakes they need to know why they're going into the dungeon um why is it that they're uh trying to negotiate these mining rights um why is it that you know everyone in this building needs to be crushed by the ceiling right and that isn't necessarily information that you are handing them, right? A lot of it is built out of their backstories or they're going to come up with their own motivations. But they need to be, if they're going to lose, they need to know what it is that they risked and lost in order for it to be meaningful when they come back up in the third arc and maybe gain it back or maybe uh, get some other version of it or, you know, have, have the loss stanched in some way. Yeah, because uh, implicit in having defeat is having conflict, right? So you got to know what you're getting, what you're looking to get out of that conflict in order to uh, understand what it is you're losing. Um, I, I think the practical terms of this means like you can't just go for the rocks fall, you die, right? Because players don't have any agency in in that sort of event, right? Like the rocks fell because the GM felt that way not because of anything that the players were necessarily interested in or uh, signed up for or struggling with. So in addition, the heroes need to have an alternate path forward after the defeat. Uh, recently, we had an episode on failing forward. You go back and listen to that. That's essentially all about how to maneuver your party or, or to present them ways that think they can get around an obstacle that has stymied them. Yeah, this is, you know, when one door closes, a window opens sort of approach a tiny window with a trap inside <laughs> yeah, that is definitely much harder than just going through the door <laughs> uh, but the point is that like the defeat can't be the end of the story right or else that's just there's no uh there's there's 
no hero's journey to continue. Um, but it is kind of dependent on the plot. So, um, you know, if, like you said, uh, you're trying to escape and you end up surrounded and arrested, well, the alternate path forward becomes escaping from prison, right? Or maybe it becomes, um, you know, bribing your way out of prison or, um, you know, making friends in extremely low places while you're in prison or, or something that helps you to continue mm-hmm. moving the plot forward, even though you have been kind of temporarily detained. Oh, yeah. I think it's time for an entire arc where the party is uh, earning their freedom through gladiatorial combat. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, and again, like, it depends what the defeat was, but it could mean that, um, you know, you've been rejected by a certain noble and now you've got to go curry favor with their rival. So, you know, something along the lines of, uh, I'm sorry, but our princess is in another castle. You know, you probably want to make it a little more interesting than that rather than, oh, sorry, sucker, you wasted your time. Right. But the alternate path, of course, is um, go through this big green pipe and go to the next world uh, and attack the next castle. Uh, In other types of games, like you might have, uh, you might be rejected by a love interest and and so you need to kind of um, find another date to the ball. Or it might just be as simple as you said of like training up, right? Fighting your way through the gladiatorial pits or uh, gearing up. You know, we didn't have what we needed to defeat Superman, so we need to go find some kryptonite. What kind of game are you playing? Uh, Antiheroes. Okay. This is Injustice. We're playing Injustice. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) there's a... Have you seen the new tick yet? Yeah, uh uh-huh. It's probably the second episode, but there's a lot of throwaway line in there where they're they're chasing down um, Overkill, and uh, someone asks the tick where he's going. He goes, "I'm going to find the villain, or maybe an antihero. I'll know it when I get there." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I can't, it could, it could I can't be that. <laughs> define it, but I know it when I see it. Right, <laughs> you cut that guy's head off, but uh, context, context is king. Um, so I think an important thing to keep in mind with these alternate alternate paths is that you want the plot to continue advancing forward. You don't want the approach for the characters to be backtracking, right? So, um, you know, like, if the only way that I can, you know, come back at the big bad is to take two steps backwards and then unmake a decision that we had previously made. Well, all you've done is tell me that I made a bad decision and now I'm going along the railroad I should have been on in the first place. But if you let me continue forward, you know, even if it's the harder path, that gives me uh, agency, right? Like I'm, I'm owning my defeat and now I'm growing from it rather than learning I did the wrong thing and just correcting a mistake. Yeah, you don't want any of your players to sort of have this realization that, oh, we are in exactly the same spot we were two months ago um, when we could have just made the right decision. Right. I guess that was all a waste of time. Exactly. And one way to do that is to add some sugar to the the medicine, right? The defeat is much less sour if the party gains something that they wouldn't have been able to get in some other way. Like, for example, the princess is in in another castle. But who is actually in the tower in this castle? A sage with some interesting advice, uh, a new ally, uh, an armory. 
Yeah, or maybe it's not what's in the castle. It's what you get when you leave the castle, right? Like the the recognition that you were the group who actually got to the top of the castle and and found out that it was empty, right? Like who who confirmed like that dark tower is is not the prison of our king. Yeah, also someone left the deed in a in a strong box at the top of the tower. It's like notarized and everything. This is amazing. Well, also it turns out like just a quick batch of paint and it's not a dark tower anymore. It's an ivory tower. <laughs> so many books. <laughs> so whether that's uh, like you said, right? Some, some type of information or reputation or it's a new relationship with an NPC, whatever, whatever those rewards are um, or, you know, armory loot, um, any anything like that like that's all great but i would make sure that you're not only rewarding the players with xp like just advancing your character sheet like that's what you get for playing the game uh if that's the only reward for overcoming defeat then you've just turned defeat into a grind like all you've said is you are not high enough level come back later and okay now you're high enough level go ahead yeah, it's really one of the big things that separates tabletop RPGs from, you know, computer role-playing games is that you don't want to be stuck doing that. Yeah, you don't want to be like, all right, 37 more boars in the forest, and then we can move this plot forward. Right. So I think it might be helpful. I, I mean, since we have these plot recaps of our campaigns sort of baked into our show, Ishan, maybe it would be helpful if we draw some examples directly from our own games um to kind of illustrate these points um that's going to be tough though because uh dynasty unwarranted is just entirely defeat after defeat after defeat nothing good ever happens that's not true you keep (laughs) i mean i keep beating you down but you keep coming back stronger (laughs) like say that to the guy with the inferno pistol Yeah, he's an NPC. <laughs> okay, well, Jim is probably going to have an Inferno pistol when he comes back. <laughs> yes, he will. Spoilers. <laughs> like he's 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 got enough loot to to acquire one now. <laughs> I mean, yes, uh, Trank has nice guns, very nice guns. There've been in Dynasty Unwarranted. There've definitely been some setbacks. Uh, the the whole reason you guys are rogue traders in the first place is to escape the grasp of the Imperium, right? Like, because that's the only only way in the Warhammer 40k galaxy that you can really um, exist outside Imperial rule and not be an enemy of the Imperium. So that's kind of an ongoing defeat, you might say. <laughs> the fact that you keep getting roped into Imperial plots. Yes, well, yes, just playing in uh, the 40k universe is a defeat in and of itself. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> it kind of is. Welcome yeah, to Grimdark. You were born. Sucks for you. <laughs> uh, you've also had more tangible de- uh, defeats, though. Uh, being imprisoned by the Dark Eldar, I think, was a, was a pretty rough go for you guys. Well, one thing I do like about the way that these defeats play out in Dynasty Unwarranted is that the, the setting itself, it's, the setting is grimdark, uh, but the, the game itself, the mechanics, also don't really facilitate success. You're expected to lose or to fail a fair amount just because that's the way the fiction plays out. 
So you did a good job of taking the defeats that we sort of brought upon ourselves by rolling poorly <laughs> or by making bad decisions and turning them into um, something that ended up being more interesting, right? Like the plan wasn't that we get captured by Dark Eldar, but we did get captured by Dark Eldar. Yeah, that one was uh, was once again a plot of your own making because you suspected that there was a trap on board and then decided to walk directly into it you even you even gathered really good evidence that there was a a trap on board and still walked into it yeah but i really wanted to go to the armory (laughs) (laughs) i think as as rogue traders your biggest defeat has been the players consuming alcohol (laughs) oh yeah yeah that has happened a lot Right, <laughs> there are consequences in game, but I mean, but going back to that, right? So you know, you um, answer a distress call on a ship. It is totally a Dark Eldar honeypot. Uh, you fall into the Dark Eldar trap and are put in a very exotic prison, along with some uh, an interesting rogues gallery of other sort of notable prisoners. Um, kind of held out from the general population, which has been sewn into a grotesque. Like, even digging through, like, the multiple sessions of you guys just basically being, you know, naked and afraid and in prison, prisoners of the Dark Eldar, like, you got pretty big rewards for sort of fighting your way out of that situation, right? Yeah, ultimately. I mean, Bupita lost her head, but whatever. She's an NPC. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, you got your, your bosun. <laughs> like, you got, uh, you got the Wonder Twins. You got what las guns for all of your troops right and uh, a bunch of players did lose appendages but they got cool bionic ones oh that's right i forgot there's that whole subplot of having to go find yourself a replacement arm on your way out we don't know when we'll get another chance for a replacement arm right the the two-fisted gunslinger lost a fist Um, and it also, but more importantly, it gave you a, a plot lead, right? Like it, it got you Gauntlegrim. Um, it, it gave you a place where you could go to sort of uh, pursue your primary objective, right? Which was to sort of start building profit out of your relationship on Nova Bella. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, on Gauntlegrim, uh, there was more defeat waiting for us, lying in wait. Look, you're the one who showed up in a commissariat vehicle carrying bolt pistols. Like, <laughs> and then show, like walked right in front of an Imperial Commissar with it and said, hey, what's up? Look, it was properly acquired, okay? Um, one thing I like about this kind of defeat, and it's a nice technique to use if there's sort of like a point in the story where you, you kind of want... Uh, the party to to fail in order for um you know some other direction in the campaign to open up is you know when when herc accused us of heresy in dynasty unwarranted he had a bunch of evidence and out of context all of that evidence was really good you know it was it was all things that we had done it as you were laying it out we were all like oh yeah we did do that oh no i yeah i could see from a certain point of view uh if you didn't know what was going on that looks pretty bad yeah, you got my cousin Vinny'd pretty hard. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> the same thing happened in Morning Glory when the angels were uh, when the angels put you on trial. Uh, they were able to lay out a bunch of evidence about. Uh, we're pretty sure that you caused uh, the day of mourning and destroyed the nation of of uh, Seer. Um, 
that's on you. Uh, also, you've been consorting with uh, a devil because, like, he's right here. <laughs> like, you brought him and you just showed up with him. <laughs> we offer no defense. <laughs> also, uh, your bard doesn't have a soul, so that's kind of an issue. Uh, <laughs> and these were all, these were all, like, plot points that uh, the party essentially presented to me right and you can spin them into a narrative that that doesn't lead to at least to a defeat right but not the defeat of the party yeah i mean it's a it's a contextual problem right so the the challenge is you then as a party have to contextualize all of the things that you've done so that they make sense to uh an impartial observer who maybe you know wasn't there at every step of the way didn't see every decision get made in real time yeah, I really like letting the party dig their own hole and not necessarily because of dumb decisions, right? But you come to decision points in any game where the party is presented with the option of, okay, you can go down path A or you can go down path B. And, you know, ideally you're not playing a very railroady game. You're saying, you know, here are your options. You decide and like, then give me some time so I can like figure out that arc, you know? One of the consequences of not taking path B is that it can come back around to bite the party in the ass. And that is reasonable and expected. You know, that's the tension of, oh, we can only choose one of these things. I think this is going to become sort of a dangerous realization about our own preferences, Ishan. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, our Dark Zone game also had us beaten up quite a bit. <laughs> like, uh, many, many a defeat that were both social and uh, actually just combat defeat. Oh, I'm excited for to see what happens when we start playing, when we pick up the game again, because the dragon is coming, and that's our fault. Well, that's your fault. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, long before the dragon screwed in on us as, uh, as the big bads of his own game, uh, like, I, I mean, our whole existence at Dark Sun has been harried by desert and thirst and um, pursuit of a rival nation's army and also... Templars and their cronies. I mean, it's not exactly been um, a walk in the park on in the Dark Sun front. Yeah, we've had to choose sides a lot of the time. And invariably, that means that you make one friend, but you gain one enemy, um, which is a great way to uh, introduce the means by which your party will be defeated at some point in the future. Uh, also, if you think about it, what... So we did um, an episode on the Dark Sun campaign setting. If you've listened to that, you know that in Dark Sun, arcane magic uh, destroys the environment. It like um, saps the life energy of creatures and like plants and even just like the soil around it. So it, it's illegal, and you know anyone caught uh, practicing arcane magic is usually summarily executed. Uh, knowing that, at least half of our party said, "Hey, I'm going to play an arcane casting class." And I'll just keep it secret. <laughs> You're a blade singer. Uh, well, I, hang on. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not. A real, I'm not arcane, though. Oh, you reflavored it as psionic, right? I'm psionic. Yeah. Okay. Well, Cameron played a warlock. Uh, yep. Steph is a sorcerer. Well, she's a Templar, though, or a former Templar. Well, exactly. So she, anything she's doing now is still illegal. Well, yeah, um, but but I mean, she kind of had a license to be an arcane. At one caster, point, not right? here, not not where we are right now. <laughs> Well, not yet. <laughs> um, I'm a druid. Those are definitely illegal. <laughs> well, that's only because you're threatening to the Templars. 
But in a, in a, in a typical D&D game, right, it's, oh, I'll play whatever you want. In this one, it was, hey, there are going to be some serious RP repercussions and people are going to try to murder you if you use your abilities. So choose wisely. And we were like, yeah, that, that looks good. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> And part of the reason that we're interested in that is the risk of loss is fun. And part of the payment for having that fun is sometimes to just lose. Yeah, I lost the first character in that game uh, in, in the sense of, of actual like game over defeat. And uh, and I was like honestly pretty sad uh, because I had put you know a decent amount of time into the backstory. I was very excited about like the way the character played at the table. And I liked his kind of um, personality and also role in the party. Um, Watcher was sort of the, like the, the standard bearer. So he, he was sort of like the tactical command sort of role, um, but also was just sort of the big silent kind of, you know, no nonsense sort of warrior type, um, which is a, an interesting twist for me. Uh, and then you know he just dies <laughs> like like he's in a fight we're winning the fight and he just dies <laughs> like, like we had it sewn up it wasn't really in the balance it was just one last act of spite from a templar before succumbing to the party killing her and like cool i just lost the game <laughs> there's no coming back from that in dark sun um and, and it was like man like what do I do now? You know, like, and so, so sort of the benefit that I got from that was watcher was memorialized, right? Like that, that became like, it it was a squad that had watcher in it and it kind of became Watcher's squad. Right. And it, the company sort of canonized him as, as a hero. Yeah. I like how in our dark sun game where the attrition rate is supposed to be quite high, you know, it's, it's very deadly. Um, our alternative path forward in dealing with so many character deaths such that, you know, the party makeup is completely different multiple sessions later, you know, was to all sort of agree, oh, we're not really playing these individual characters. We're playing a mercenary company and these are members of that company. But the story is going to be about the company and the investment that we put into it is about the company. Right. Yeah, we, we kind of overcome defeat or overcome sort of the traditional defeat by reframing all of it as right. uh, as as part and parcel with the story that we want to tell. Yeah. And I think it it is important to remember that on both sides, if you are the GM or you are the player, it's good to worry about whether the game is no longer fun if you are defeating the party. But remember that in the long term, it's the game is a lot more fun when sometimes you do lose. I think you don't need to worry that much about uh, feeling. You don't need to feel bad about presenting defeat as part of the story because when you look back on it, it it ends up being much more interesting because that sort of thing happened, or or because all of that tension was there. Like we often talk about uh, the All Guardsmen Party, uh, you know that that um, write up uh, of a Dark Heresy game. And <laughs> that is an interesting write-up and an interesting story because nothing ever goes right. Right. And it's all about how do they find an alternate path forward, right? Like, the, the game is essentially 
so no shit, there we were and right. everything was screwed up <laughs> right like, you will not believe how bad this was and like we barely got out of it and sometimes some of us don't get out of it right yeah and i mean you know in contrast to eberron which was definitely much more of a heroic like fantasy swashbuckling kind of campaign um you know the the times that we face setbacks in the in the morning glory campaign like there was a real sense of 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 loss of mourning of of concern of anxiety about like what are we gonna do like how are we gonna fix this situation right like things didn't go the way we wanted and even though like you know in, especially in comparison to dark sun or rogue trader like the losses were few and far between we had a lot of wins or like a lot of ticks in the win column uh for every loss that we had but the losses were that much more pronounced because it was like oh man like we 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 really expect to win every fight and like or we expect to succeed every time we try something and it just when it didn't work it really it it, it like it brought a totally new tenor to the campaign it was like the reason you go through these stories right like that's the fun of the narrative yeah that's a good point like we've been spending a lot of time talking about grimdark stories where there's a lot of defeat but you're right in in eberron at least the the morning glory campaign the like long arc of it was much brighter Mm -hmm. um you know heroic and eventually epic kind of game um but you were used to winning and so when when you didn't win it hurt a lot yeah, like when the I mean when the party first gets to Stormreach and gets, you know, thrown into gladiatorial pits and, and all that stuff, like that was a loss for the party, right? Like that was sort of a, a loss of agency and that's that kind of thing. The reward for it was a bunch of information and a new party member. <laughs> like that's the point where I joined the campaign and oh, that and, was a punishment. I was punishing them. Well, good point. Okay. <laughs> truly <laughs> truly the defeats outweigh the the wins then. <laughs> But, you know, so so even from that, like, that was probably the most stark loss of agency that we had in that campaign. And we gained a player and we gained a ton of information and really, like, all the events sort of set us forward on a path that was clear. Mm-hmm. But later in the campaign, when Merrick Stekanith, uh commits an act of terrorism and destroys a tower in Sharn and murders 6,000 people, um, it's bad for you guys because you're certainly tied to Sharn and in game that was the action that ended up having the most consequences uh, at least until the very end of the campaign when you're sort of fighting the big bad right and also the one in which we uh most failed to anticipate and prevent it (laughs) and and then we're subsequently accused of it right (laughs) and i think one of the tenets of the morning glory campaign in the end was you kind of had to pick your own defeat. Like when Brand realizes, oh, okay, the only way that we save the world and quote unquote win is for me to kill my god. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, and, so and, the win the win condition is losing everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and also uh, finding out that I've been wrong entirely about who I thought the big bad was <laughs> within my church. <laughs> shifters it would have been great if it was actually just shifters it was just a shifter conspiracy uh well then i would have been validated (laughs) so so to kind of wrap it up in in two takeaways right uh if you if you want to engage in that hero's journey in that type of arc 
then keep in mind that a defeat to a player means much more than just losing a fight or a TPK, right? Like defeat comes in many flavors and the more flavors that you uh, use in your campaign, the more varied and sort of rewarding that um, overcoming those defeats will feel. Yeah, I think it doesn't necessarily need to be about getting your players to buy in and being okay with the fact that they're going to lose sometimes, but you can make defeat fun and interesting. And not just because, oh, you know, we learned a valuable lesson, but, you know, maybe you get a bunch of stuff too. Right. Yeah. As long as they understand uh, why they've been defeated and also are sort of rewarded for going along with it uh, and, and for overcoming it as a setback, I think they'll be happy. Or happy enough. Do you hear that, Ishan? Is that the sound of rocks falling? You said you wouldn't do this again. You do it all the time. It is indeed. So it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Comeback Kid. You know, when someone makes fun of you and then you've got the proper quip to completely disarm them, right? Is that is that what's happening here? No, no, no. It's like when somebody sweeps the leg illegally against you in your big tournament and then you come back later to uh, defeat them fair and square. Uh, or if they uh, slap you across the face and then you punch them in the throat. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it seems like an escalation. Well, mechanically, I think this build escalates. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So what is the build, Ishan? It is Swashbuckler Rogue 5, Battlemaster Fighter 8, Pact of the Blade, Celestial Warlock 7. And the point of this build is basically get people to attack you, get hit, hurt them when you get hit. Okay. It's a it's a Thorns build for those of you who play Diablo. Alright, so how does it work then? So we're looking for passive abilities that hurt people when they try to harm you. And one of the best ones that is ready to go right at level 1 is the Warlock's Armor of Agathis. Now, this is not that great at first level. At first level, it is essentially... When you cast a spell at first level, you're essentially uh, trading 5 damage for 5 damage, right? Like, they attack you, they probably do, you know, 8 to 15. So 5 of that is prevented by the temp HP, and they take 5 cold damage. Woo! But at higher levels, think third level, it's 15 damage, right? And it's as long as you have any of those temp HP, they take the full amount of cold damage. So if they hit you for 8, 8 is reduced, so you don't take any damage. You still have 7 HP left, and they take 15 cold damage. And the next time they or someone else hits you, they still take another 15 cold damage. You've dealt 30 cold damage during mm-hmm. the time you've had that. So... Armor of Agathis is a much better spell as you cast it at higher levels. You also get Hellish Rebuke, uh, which as a reaction you can uh, deal some fire damage. Uh, the fourth level spell Fire Shield is good as well. Uh, neither either Armor of Agathis nor Fire Shield require concentration, which is big because what you don't want to have happen is your thorns to uh, go away because you failed a concentration check. 
Right. Uh, but Armor of Agatha's lasts for an hour, so you can definitely precast it, and Fire Shield's a good 10 minutes. Um, so when you get uh, when you cast it, you decide if you're going to get cold resistance or fire resistance, and then uh, when someone hits you, they take uh, that kind of damage. And those things both stack. So you'll get up to 4th level spells, and as for invocations, you can take pretty much whatever you want, something interesting, but I would suggest uh, you take Eldritch Smite, which is really the, sort of the only reason that we're taking Pact of the Blade, just because, as we'll see later, there's no point in being a dangerous target, uh, because enemies will just not attack you and just try to kill all of your allies. So you need to have a way to make sure that you hit very hard so that they have an incentive to actually take you out, even though they're taking damage. And Celestial Warlock also gives you some short rest healing. It's actually really nice to be able to drop a, a Cure Light Wounds on yourself every hour, uh, which you're going to need because this is a build where you're trying to get hit in the face. <laughs> right. Then from Fighter, you'll gain a second wind, a fighting style, and an extra attack. Uh, but you'll more importantly gain five superiority dice, which we will use for goading attack and repost. So a way to um, force enemies to attack you and then a way of punishing them if they miss. Yeah, you're in a situation now where you've got armor of Agathis or fire shield up. Um, you, you make it so it's difficult for them to attack anyone else. Um, they attack you, they take some damage and you take less damage. Uh, or they miss you, and you say, uh, well, I guess I'm going to attack you anyway. That was dumb of you. And then you Eldritch Smite. Right. You'll, you'll also get three ability score increases, so you can keep uh, your constitution high and your other stats high as well. From Rogue, we're going to get two expertises, uh, Cunning Action, and Sneak Attack helps you um, stay dangerous. Uh, you're a swashbuckler, so you're going to get that sneak attack when you're with allies or if you're alone. So you don't end up in a situation where you're sort of standing off to the side, going toe-to-toe with one person, and they say, well, I'm just going to walk away from you, take right. one puny hit, and then go tax- attack someone who's not going to set me on fire when I hit them. Correct. <laughs> uh, but more importantly, you'll get Uncanny Dodge, which allows you to reduce the damage coming in by half Uh keeping your armor of Agathus up longer and making your thorns, uh, giving you more chances for your thorns abilities to uh, trigger. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is a reaction, so it does compete with, you know, casting uh, Hellish Rebuke or uh, using Repost, but remember that those are finite resources. You're only getting five superiority dice, you're limited the number of spell slots you have uh, per short rest, so, so if you want to hold on to those or save them for later, uh, or if you've just run out, then the best thing to do is just uncanny dodge so you can last a lot longer and ideally stretch out the amount of damage that Armor of Agathis is doing, you know, to five or seven hits. Right. Okay, so Shane, who is your comeback kid? So my comeback kid was bullied in fighter college. So my comeback kid was trained as a uh, mercenary or a soldier, uh, maybe not literally a fighter college, but, you know, some type of uh, school of war, that type of thing, um, but was perhaps not the strongest, um, you know, maybe in a in a way of fighting or a, a school of war that prized strength. Um, my comeback kid had a more of a silver tongue or maybe a, a, a lithe grace about him. Uh, but couldn't quite hang in there with all of the uh, strong brutish types. 
Uh, so he was picked on quite a bit, um, you know, targeted for bullying and that kind of thing. And so he ended up making, um, you know, a few prayers that went unanswered, but were noticed by a celestial being, uh, a, a, maybe an, an archon or something like that, who reached out and made an offer, made a promise, um, sort of a, um, if you reject that type of evil and, and tyranny in your life, uh, then I will protect you. I will enshroud you in holy energy and make you, uh, you know, I will infuse you with divine strength where your own um, physical form is perhaps frail. And so that's what he did. He made a, uh, made a pact with a celestial to um, grant that protection to himself and continued in the, uh, school of war um, with uh, or, or maybe you know left the formal school of war but continued uh, developing those skills um, maybe got a little bit underhanded uh, but but ultimately right with the guidance and uh, and sort of backstop protection of a uh, of a guardian angel almost uh, walks through the world righteously um, doing good by those who are oppressed I like to think that in fighter college, people got angry and started uh, calling him a cheater for using magic. They were well, like, th- look, Eldritch Knights are over there, man, okay? Yeah, I think that's that's probably what ended up happening, right? Is like, you get to like, you know, level three in Battlemaster, and it's just like, okay, you know all the techniques, but you're not very good at them. And then that one time you get hit, it just frees the out of your opponent <laughs> and everyone is like no you're out like get get out that's not cool like, man we don't do that here <laughs> grabnar's dead dude okay yeah, exactly <laughs> we gotta thaw him out to send him to his parents and maybe that's how you become you know falling into a rogue sort of pattern it's like you uh, gotta mm. develop some more streetwise skills because unfortunately like your traditional path to uh, glory and or financial freedom is now uh, hindered by your patron yeah man you gotta eat you know Ex- exactly. and you ain't, you ain't a cleric you worship a celestial but you don't get create food and water exactly <laughs> uh, how about your comeback kid my comeback kid is a lawyer, and she is very concerned with the letter, but perhaps not the spirit of the law. Um, she is beholden to a, a celestial who um, is very focused on, on peace and really, really doesn't like the aggressor, doesn't like the concept of preemptive war, uh, really hates it when people throw the first punch. <laughs> okay but that makes it difficult when you're an adventurer because you know you're out there and the assassin stabs you in the back and you're dead right oops or you know the orcs are, are closing in on you and you've definitely better off if you can hit them before they hit you yeah um yes it would be really great to be standing there with a the longbow and hiding in a tree but um that's sort of against the tenets uh it's not very honorable you really need to let them make the the first move. Right. And so she, uh, you know, hangs out with a, a few wizard friends, um, scours some archives and tries to figure out a way that she never needs to throw the first punch. In fact, it'll be fine if the enemies do. What she wants is for them to um, relinquish the high ground, right? Uh, you are the one who began this conflict. Of course, you know, if you punch me in the face, I'm going to freeze your fist off. 
You mean relinquish the moral high ground? Yes, you never want to relinquish the actual high ground, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) She's not a Jedi. Right. (laughs) Uh, But now that you have broken the social contract that we have all agreed to by being part of society, I can stab you in the face with no repercussions. (laughs) I I like that this approach to the character requires you to not overinvest in ways to get initiative higher. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or, I don't know, ready to actions and just hope. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll wait. (laughs) You guys guys go ahead and get in this fight. I'll be surprised. (laughs) And so if I was playing this character, I actually would make sure that uh, she never attacks somebody who hasn't already attacked her first. But that's also totally fine because you always have something to do in combat. You can actually just stand in the middle and try to take hits. Um, you know, you you goad uh, or even you could just taunt, you know. Um, and if you don't actually have a valid target, that's kind of fine. You can actually heal. It's no big deal. Yeah, you can also run around kind of soaking up opportunity attacks, uh, like eating up reactions from your enemies, but also kind of getting those free hits oh yeah i love the idea of um (laughs) you happen upon a a pack of goblins who don't know what you can do and so you just run past all of them and each one of them takes an opportunity attack and just dies right (laughs) (laughs) it's like uh turn undead for the uninitiated (laughs) so for leveling order you really want to get to your extra attack but you kind of want your bread and butter spells, right? So I think I'd probably start um, with some mix of Fighter 5, Warlock 1 to 3. Probably actually just maybe one or two levels of Warlock. So the latest you end up with extra attack is is level 7. But you'll actually be doing additional damage anyway um, because of your armor of Agathis. And then I would uh, probably get to Warlock 5 as well. So you're probably looking at at level 10, you're 5 and 5. Um, which also lets you Eldritch Smite. So you're going to be pretty dangerous on the field. All right, awesome. So before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank all of our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And don't forget we have t-shirts available on TeePublic and the Character Creation Forge Codex is available uh, through a link in the show notes that was provided to us as a uh, reward tier from our patrons. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're continuing our series on campaign settings, and we'll be talking about Vampire the Masquerade. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the monster within. Well, that's it for episode 140 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 